Love Talk Radio. We got the DNC committee that just did their thing the other day. And um, unsurprisingly, they stuck their middle finger up to the left. So um, that was annoying. I'll give you the specifics of that. In fact, I'm going to leave with that here in just a second. Um, I also have Joe Biden releasing a statement on uh, Trump and the protests and the state of the country. And he dropped a little bomb in there on everybody. So we'll talk about that as well. Um, did Politico accidentally leak who Biden's VP is going to be? Did they accidentally leak it? Don't know. Actually, I do know. (laughs) I have a pretty good idea, but we'll talk about that as well. Um, We have Nina Turner made the news, and of course I will be defending her because she's right as usual. I'll give you an update on the state of the eviction crisis, which is just getting worse and worse every time I look at the numbers and every time new numbers come out. Then later on in the show, we got Rush Limbaugh, we got Congressman Dan Crenshaw, we got the Antifa fear-mongering, and um, Trump escalates by sending federal officers to more places. So sit back, relax. It's going to be a nice, hefty show for you today to enjoy. So let me pour some knowledge straight into your cranium. Let's do the damn thing. Here we go. The DNC platform committee just put a giant middle finger up 
to the left. This is, I mean, unfortunately, the sad reality is that this was expected. But now it's, it happened. It actually happened. So reporter Holly Otterbein said the following, A few notable moments from the DNC's platform committee meeting today on some of the issues I've been tracking where progressives have been trying to pull the party to the left. On Medicare for All, the DNC Platform Committee has voted down support for Medicare for All, 36 in favor, 125 against, and three abstain. On the issue of legalizing marijuana, even with a supermajority of Democrats in favor of marijuana legalization, the DNC's Platform Planning Committee just rejected an amendment to add the policy change as the 2020 plank. The delegates voted 50 in favor, 106 against legalizing marijuana. That's out of this world. And then you have Israel, um, amendment to condition aid to Israel and mention occupation in the 2020 platform was struck down by an overwhelming majority of DNC platform committee members, 117 versus 34. So, I mean, what is there to be said about this? This is inexcusable. These are not ancillary issues. These are not, you know, side issues that aren't of crucial importance to people all around this country. These are major issues. These are cornerstone, fundamental, important issues. And not only was the left rejected, the overwhelming majority of the American people were rejected. So when you look at the polls on Medicare for All, for example, you have, their polls show about over 80% of Democrats, over 80% of Democrats are in favor of Medicare for all. You have um, 60 plus percent of the American public, and there's even one poll where it's 51% of Republicans. So you have this overwhelmingly popular issue, and by the way, an issue that's going to gain more and more popularity as we get hit by a pandemic and millions of people hemorrhage their health insurance, their employer health insurance, this is not a hard one. It's a winner both politically and also a winner in terms of policy, because, of course, when we talk about policy, we're just trying to catch the United States up to the rest of the developed world. You know, every other developed country has one version or another of a universal health care system, and we don't. The way to do it is to do Medicare for all. And it's not even like the numbers reflected something defensible. Like, I feel like at least if it was close, we would have been able to walk away saying, you know what, we chipped away like crazy. Like with uh, the House of Representatives, when we started along with Justice Democrats that Medicare for All pledge and we did this full court press and we tried to force Democratic politicians to sign on to Medicare for All, it worked. A lot of them signed on to it. We bullied them into doing the right thing. But the DNC committee is significantly more conservative than even House Democrats, they're significantly more conservative. So the vote wasn't even close. 36 in favor, 125 against. This is during a pandemic with 150,000 people dead. Over 20 million people just losing their health insurance. 7 million prior to that, before we even got hit by coronavirus under the Trump administration. How can you look at that current state of affairs and simply be in favor of expanding Obamacare? You want to be in favor of expanding Obamacare? Cool. Expand it to Medicare for all. 
You go from Obamacare to a public option to Medicare for all. That's the logical progression. But no, just this, you know, nonspecific, let's expand Obamacare. Well, if Obamacare still had millions of people that weren't covered, why is this being held up as some sort of platonic ideal? It's not. It's not. It's actually pretty terrible. And when you look at the, the original Obamacare plan, guys, it comes from the Heritage Foundation. That's a right-wing think tank. The idea was originally a right-wing idea. Newt Gingrich supported it in the 90s. Chuck Grassley supported it in the 90s. Obama moved to the former Republican position, and then they moved into Cookiesville so far right that their position is basically, who cares, leave the, our terrible health care system exactly as it is. But the Democrats, they're supposed to stand for something. If they were representing the majority of their party, of course they'd be in favor of Medicare for all. It would have been 80% in favor of Medicare for all, but they said no. Then you get legalizing marijuana. Guys, again, this is ridiculous. Like they said, a supermajority of Democratic voters support it. It's over 60% of the American public, again, overall. And, and this is one of those issues where it would be so easy to outflank Trump and have Joe genuinely look good if he's like, yeah, I want to I give people more freedom. I want to give people more liberty. I want to make up for the fact that I was the writer of the crime bill, which led to mass incarceration, which locked up innocent people, many of them people of color. I want to make up for that. How am I going to make up for that? I'm going to legalize marijuana, and I'm going to free all the nonviolent drug offenders. It's the least I could do. It's the direction that we're heading in. How can we have a situation where we got a bunch of states where it, marijuana is legal in the states? It's legal. But in other states, it's not. And at the federal level, it's illegal. And we're really going to pretend like, this is a reasonable thing or a debatable thing? I mean, this, the principle behind this is the same principle as locking somebody up if they have a scotch on the weekend or a Budweiser. They're getting intoxicated. So what? Leave them alone. It's their business. But no. The Democratic Party in the year 2020 says we're against a supermajority of our own voters and a majority of the public. The DNC... They're moderate Republicans. That's what they are. I don't know what you want me to call it. That's what it is. And actually, in many, in many ways, moderate Republican voters are to the left of the DNC. And then don't even get me started on the Israel thing. Don't even get me started on that. You know, they had a fight over the language of, you know, the left was saying we need to say we're against settlements. Which seems like, well, obviously, we need to be against settlements. Duh, that's a given. Like, they're illegal under international law. Saying I'm against settlements is like saying I'm for international law. It's obvious, right? Right? No. You know what happened? The, uh, the ghouls that make up the majority of these low-life scumbags on the DNC committee, they said, no, 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 what we'll do is we'll only come out against settlement expansion. But wait, 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 wait. There are settlements that are already built that are illegal under international law. They're saying in no uncertain terms, the ones that are already built, we're not going to say Dickie McGee's acts about that. Those are fine. It's any settlement expansion starting now, that's the problem. So you see how that's massively biased in favor of Israel? And that's biased against Palestinians? They're grandfathering in the already illegal settlements that currently exist. This is your Democratic Party. 
This is what they stand for. They should just they should just rebrand and say we're the moderate Republican Party. That's what we are. We're the moderate Republican Party. Just come out and say it, because that's what this is. They're, they take a look at the defining issues of our time, defining issues, and they go, no, we disagree. We're going to disagree with 80% of our own voters. How is that even an option? How is that on the table? But they're also going to disagree with 60-plus percent of the public. When we have a pandemic and we have people dying and hemorrhaging their health insurance, the number one issue that everybody should be in favor of and fighting for is Medicare for All. The media should be talking about it nonstop. The Democrats should be pushing for it nonstop. Hell, even the Republicans, if they had two brain cells to rub together, should be like, well, at the very least, we need to temporarily expand Medicare and Medicaid to cover everybody during the pandemic. Duh. This is the number one issue right now. By the way, what else is going on? Civil unrest. Civil unrest over what? Police abuse. So these are criminal justice-related issues. What's the number one criminal justice-related issue that is bigoted, that's racist, that is the clearest example of something that we need to fix moving forward if we want to have any hope at racial reconciliation? It's the drug war. The racist drug war, which overwhelmingly cracks down on poor people and people of color. Don't take my word for it. Nixon admitted it. His White House admitted it. Yeah, we were against the hippie whites and and the people of color. We knew they were never going to be our political allies, so we tried to criminalize the lifestyle and lock them up. That's what we did. They admit it. They admit it. Joe Biden helped write the goddamn crime bill, and now he's saying, I'm not even going to be able to legalize marijuana. I'm not even going to fix the problems I caused. You got protests in the street over police brutality and criminal justice issues and racial issues. And the Democrats in 2020 are not saying let's legalize marijuana. But that's the solution. That's the most important solution to this criminal justice issue and these racial issues. If you legalize marijuana and free all the nonviolent drug offenders, that that takes a giant step towards racial reconciliation. Because, you know, you got to release the people who you imprisoned unjustly. you got to stop harassing people and oppressing people for simply being a free adult to put in their body whatever they want to put in their body. The drug war is the fuel that allows these police departments to continue to harass poor people and people of color. That's what it is. Like, what do you think it was in New York when they do stop and frisk? What are they looking for? What are they looking for? They're looking for drugs. And if they have drugs, oh, shit, we're going to lock you up. Now you got a criminal record. Now you can't get a job. Now you're in this cycle of misery. I mean, this is, this is what we're talking about, and the Democrats are not even in favor of fixing it. In the era of Donald frickin' Trump, they're not in favor of fixing it. Let me explain something to all of you. The only reason why Joe Biden won this Democratic primary, the only reason, is because a bunch of suburban white voters were afraid that Trump would win again So in their minds, they went with the safe option, the safe option being the career politician who's been wrong about virtually everything. And now we're in this position that we're in right now. Bernie Sanders would be up just as much on Donald Trump, if not more. And Bernie Sanders is correct on these issues, and Joe Biden isn't. So you know what my advice to you is? Bully the shit out of these motherfuckers. Bully Joe Biden. Bully every single corporate Democrat you see. 
bully every single neoliberal you see. I am pro-bullying to fix the country for the policies that we need. I am pro-bullying. I'm on the record. I love bullying. And I'm going to bully the shit out of them myself. You want to know why? Because they deserve it. They earned it. When you are arrogant enough to put your middle finger up to 80% of the voters of your own party and 60% of the country, you're damn right. I'm gunning for you verbally, and you're damn right. I'm going to make you look like a fool because you are one. That's exactly what I'm going to do. And this is the way politics works. The right has done it for the longest time. They bully their politicians into doing their bidding. So it's time for the left to bully you know, the politicians on our side who are not doing our bidding. That's exactly what it's time for. And I don't want to hear anything different. My biggest bone to pick with the left has been that so many people on the left, and even left-wing leaders, in fact, left-wing leaders are the worst on this front. I'm talking about like left-wing politicians. Instead of acknowledging that we have a civil war for the heart and soul of the Democratic Party, what they do is they ignore that, they pretend we don't, and they push towards unity. But why is it the unity only works in one direction? The unity only works for the left to fall in line to do what the corporatists want. Why doesn't unity work the other way? Why isn't it unity for the corporatists to do the bidding of 80% of their own voters? They're against unity because they're not doing what 80% of their own voters want. So the whole unity thing is a ruse. That's what I'm trying to tell you. It's a ruse. It's a way to get you to fall in line and shut the fuck up. Well, you're not going to shut the fuck up. You're going to bully these motherfuckers relentlessly until they do the right thing because this is embarrassing. This is pathetic. And I do think that on some level they think like, oh, if we take these positions, then there's no way that the right can caricature us. These are the positions that you can caricature. Of course you can caricature these positions. Are you kidding me? You're against universal health care during a pandemic? That's embarrassingly stupid. You're against legalizing marijuana when 60-plus percent of the country wants it and 80% of your own party wants it, and that's freedom? So you're anti-freedom. Congratulations. Let's give the right exactly what they want, and then maybe they won't come after us. Oh, they're coming after us anyway? Oh, and now our base hates us? Oh, okay. This didn't really work out the way I wanted it to. Exactly. This is a joke, man. This is a joke. I don't know what else to say. This is a joke. Now, we knew this was coming. Biden won the primary, so we knew this was coming. But it is what it is. It's a slap in the face. It's a slap in the face to Palestinians and people who support Palestinian rights. It's a slap in the face to every single person who's locked up unjustly because of the drug war. It's a slap in the face to anybody who enjoys marijuana and wants it to become legal. It's a slap in the face to everybody who's ever died in this country because they don't have access to basic health care. And by the way, it's 45,000 people every single year. It's a slap in the face to the tens of millions of people who are losing their health care during this pandemic. we got to demand better. I don't know what else to say. We have to demand better. This can't stand. Are we going to sit idly by as we accept the Republicans acting in a far-right insane way and the Democrats acting in a center-right insane way? No. we got to demand more. We have to demand more. Everybody needs to get involved in the fight because they're not going to do shit unless you force them to do it. All right, next, we're going to go to Joe Biden and um, the statement that he released 
responding to Trump. Here we go. Joe Biden released a statement responding to Trump. This is about the protests that are still ongoing in some cities across the country. And uh, what he said here caused a bit of a stir. You'll see why, and if you don't, I'll explain it to you. But here's what he said. I have said from the outset of recent protests that there is no place for violence and destruction of property. Peaceful protesters should be protected, and arsonists and anarchists should be prosecuted. And local law enforcement can do that. When President Obama and I uh, were in office, we protected federal property. We were able to do it without the Department of Homeland Security turning into a private militia. And it can be done today, but that wouldn't help Trump's political interests. He's determined to stroke division and chaos. It's not good for the country, but Donald Trump doesn't care. His campaign is failing, and he is looking for a political lifeline. This isn't about law and order. It's about political strategy to revive a failing campaign. Every instinct Trump has is to add fuel to the fire. That's the last thing, the last thing we need. We need leadership to calm the waters and lower the temperature. That's how we will restore peace in the streets. Okay, so I think that last part is inarguably correct, that Trump does, like, and I think this is one of the reasons why he's polling so abysmally now, is that in a time of crisis, people want a steady hand of leadership. And he's fundamentally the opposite. He's a bomb thrower, and he's divisive, and he does add fuel to the fire. Even when he tries to do the opposite, he still somehow ends up adding fuel to the fire. He doesn't know what to do other than to feed that Fox News, One America News Network line of argument. And that line of argument is that the left is evil, the left are anarchists, looters, and rioters. They hate law and order. They hate America. Um, you know, Biden's a far left Antifa Marxist puppet. This is all he knows how to push now is that argument. And that argument rings untrue to everybody who's not already in that tiny far right bubble. Everybody knows that Joe Biden is not some sort of Antifa, you know, Marxist puppet. But this is the argument he's been going with. And Trump only knows how to exacerbate the problem. The fact that he's sending federal troops anywhere is definitely breathing more life into the protest. For sure. If he didn't send them anywhere, you'd probably be in a situation where they've almost totally died down now. Um, but he's a lightning rod, and that's what he does. Okay, so that's the part that's correct. But did you catch the part that's you know, leading people to roll their eyes and say, Jesus Christ, these are the options we have, Trump or this idiot? I'm going to read it one more time from the beginning. Here's what he said. I have said from the outset of recent protests that there is no place for violence and destruction of property. Okay, so far so good. No problem there. Peaceful protesters should be protected. Good, good. Then he says, arsonists and anarchists should be prosecuted. Now, there's nothing wrong at all with saying, you know, uh, prosecute arsonists. Arson, if you're setting stuff on fire, yeah, that's a crime, and it should be a crime. Like, you, you shouldn't get away with that. Duh, duh, in my opinion. I think that's pretty obvious. But he said anarchists should be prosecuted. The kindest I could be to Joe Biden in this scenario is to say that maybe he's using the term anarchism or a anarchist as a verb. And it's synonymous in his mind with like looting and rioting, which are illegal. Maybe that's what he's thinking. But based off the plain face reading of what he said here, the argument is lock up anarchists 
for being anarchist. But anarchism is a, a political philosophy. You can't lock somebody up for having a political philosophy, even if it's one that you view as extreme. That's deeply unconstitutional, and that's literally like, you know, it's a thought crime. It's like if somebody said, well, we got to arrest all the fascists. Now, fascism is evil and wrong and terrible and bad, of course. But you can't arrest somebody just for having that ideology. That's not a thing. They have to actually commit a crime for you to arrest them. And this goes for anything. You fill in the blank with whatever ideology, you know, you might like or dislike or it sounds extreme. You could say it was communists. It, if a far-right president was like, we got to lock up all the commies. Whoa, 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 whoa. You don't have to like communism, but you can't just willy-nilly lock people up for having a political philosophy and ideology. And anarchism is a school of political thought. You might not agree with it. I'm sure Biden doesn't know much about it. But, you know, like Noam Chomsky, one of the world's top living intellectuals, he uh, wrote a book on anarcho-syndicalism. It's a form of anarchism. It's like a radical, communitarian form of anarchism. So there's this you know, caricatured view of anarchism as like it's just total mayhem and chaos, and that's kind of how it's used in casual conversation among some people. And I think that's how Biden is trying to use it here. But you can't say, you can't say we sh- we're going to lock up anarchists, like anarchists should be prosecuted for being anarchists, which is effectively what he's saying. That's insane, and that's deeply authoritarian. Again, I have no problem with the, sure, we should prosecute the, the arsonists. That's fine. I have no problem with the, you know, you got to go after people who do any kind of violence. I get it. I get it. I get it. Of course. You're not going to have a presidential candidate running who's like, I'm in favor of violence. I'm in favor of property violence. This is, I think this is actually a good thing. Nobody's going to say it. it doesn't matter if Bernie Sanders was a nominee, he would say the same thing. He'd be like, no, I'm not in favor of any kind of violence. But to say we're going to lock up anarchists, no, people are, they're right to, to you know, point this out and say, this, that's authoritarian. You can't, do, you can't just lock somebody up for having an ideology that you don't agree with. Now, again, the kindest interpretation I could give him is that when he says anarchist, in his mind, he's using that interchangeably with, like, looter slash rioter. That's what I think he means. But you got to not say this ever again and be clear about what you mean because a plain-faced reading of this, people are not wrong to interpret that as saying, I'm going to crack down on an ideology that I don't agree with. <laughs> Trump or Biden, good luck. Okay, next. This one is going to depress everybody. Everybody. So a story leaked yesterday, and it gave me many negative emotions. Politico published an article claiming Joe Biden picked Kamala Harris as his running mate and announced it August 1st. It's since been changed and scrubbed from the piece. The original is on the left. The current version is on the right. So you could see it there. That's, they ran the thing that says Kamala Harris, senator from California, and at the top it says Biden's VP pick. Joe Biden chose Kamala Harris to become his running mate. 
for the 2020 election on August 1st, two weeks before the Democratic National Convention, after keeping his choice close to the chest for months. In his announcement, Biden called Harris, quote, a worthy opponent and a worthy running mate, alluding to the pair's rivalry during the earlier stages of the Democratic primary. See, now, if somebody were to make the argument that this was a mistake, they just, they, they ran this, but it was a complete mistake, and Biden hasn't even made his mind up yet or whatever, if somebody were to make that argument, they did have a case to make until you read the part where they have a frickin' Biden quote. In his announcement, Biden called Harris, quote, a worthy opponent and a worthy running mate. So, what looks like happened is the Biden, the Biden campaign and their various, you know, allies in the media, they told them, He's going with Kamala, but we're not going to announce it until August 1st. So here, we're going to give you the fact that it's Kamala. We're going to give you a quote and what Biden says, and but don't run this until August 1st. And they said, okay, no problem. But then somebody messed up and accidentally published it too early, and people caught it because people are quick to see this stuff. So And then they scrubbed it. And by the way, no other media outlets, I haven't seen other outlets write articles saying like, oh, maybe it is Kamala, and maybe they accidentally published it too soon. It's almost like all of the media is in cahoots. And they're like, no, 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 we were given, we we don't have the green light yet. We only have the green light on August 1st to run this, or we're going to have to wait until then. So don't even speculate about the thing that Politico did. So, you know, when I look at this, I am pretty damn convinced that... He did pick Kamala Harris. They gave the information to Politico. Politico messed up and accidentally ran it early. Now, the other possibility, though, is that this is a trial balloon. So they did the, they did the leak here on purpose, and then they want to see the reaction from people. And then depending on if the reaction is positive or negative, then they'll react according to that. So if the reaction is overwhelmingly negative, they'll pick somebody else. If it's positive, they'll you know, go with her. That's possible. Are they that Machiavellian? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I tend to lean on the side of no. But it is possible they would do something like that. But um, I'm leaning towards believing it is Kamala and this just accidentally leaked early. And listen, man, I'm not going to lie to you guys. I was despondent last night. I was in a state of utter despair. As soon as I realized it's probably Kamala... The left just can't get a break. We just can't get a break. And make no mistake about it, the argument that the Biden team will make is that just the fact that Kamala is a black woman is the, you know, olive branch to the left. The idea is like, oh, you're on the left, so obviously you guys care deeply about identity because that's what the left does, right? So you're going to be happy, right? Because it's a black woman. Yay, let's all celebrate. It's a black woman who was the top cop in California at a time when there are nationwide protests over police brutality. It's a black woman who laughed at the idea of legal marijuana in 2014. She laughed at the idea, mocked it. 
It's a black woman who wanted to lock up the parents of kids for truancy. She wanted to crack down in a criminal justice fashion on truancy. It's a black woman who made the focus of her campaign back when she was floundering in the polls and becoming completely irrelevant on banning Donald Trump from Twitter. That became her big like crusade for justice. We got to ban Trump from Twitter. She has zero political instincts. None. None. She's nothing but an electoral liability. But putting aside the electoral liability angle, because I think this does hurt Biden. It's one of the few picks that really makes it harder for him to win. But putting that aside, substantively, we're going to get nothing from her. All the main issues that the left cares deeply about. She's not going to fight for them. We can't get a break. We can't get a break. And then make no mistake about it, just the fact that, you know, I'm not happy about this, that, that'll be enough for many of the, you know, identitarian neoliberals to accuse me of bigotry. <laughs> I'm laughing because it's ridiculous, but it's totally true. That's what'll happen. <laughs> uh, he, she's a black woman. He's a white man. He's not excited. What other reason could there be? Ah. I I really hope that it's not her for the love of God. I really hope it's not her. Why can't like even just hit hit me with somebody that I'm going to be upset about, but at least make it somebody out of left field. Like at least make it somebody that's like, "Huh. I didn't see that one coming at all." You know, like somebody who there's not as long of a track record of horrendous corporate decisions. She failed to prosecute Steve Mnuchin when he was the head of One West Bank. Her own office said prosecute him because he was foreclosing on people early, including, including senior citizens, illegally foreclosing on people during the housing crisis. She didn't prosecute him. Now he's the Treasury Secretary. And he's handing all the money from the treasury out to the big corporations as the people lose their jobs and get screwed. It's a big club, and you ain't in it. You know who's definitely in it? Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Next. We have a new Biden ad. He hit Trump on the issue of coronavirus. Watch. I'm Joe Biden, and I approve this message. She was the most welcoming person you could ever imagine. Her home was the safe place. It was difficult to comprehend how quickly everything kind of spiraled downwards. We didn't even know that she had COVID until a week later in her passing. The president made a huge mistake in downplaying this virus. There was a lack of leadership, a lack of responsibility, and a lack of resources. I felt like our elderly 
have not been a priority for this administration, that they don't matter. And I feel like my grandmother didn't matter. Last time I saw my grandmother, we weren't going to be allowed in the hospital. We asked if we could video chat her, and everyone could feel a little something. We gathered the family with praise. But the fact that she was alone, it just breaks my heart. That's devastating. Oh, that, that's devastating. That's a brutal ad. That is going to be effective. For sure. Guys, we just crossed the 150,000 death threshold. 150,000. And don't you dare make the argument that this was unavoidable because it wasn't. I've said it a thousand times on the show. You know, Japan, they basically have universal masks there, and they really were able to keep corona in check. For a long time, they had fewer than 1,000 deaths. Now they, they crossed it. But for a long time, they had fewer than 1,000 deaths. And the thing is, almost everybody there wears a mask. So something as simple as that would have made a night and day difference. There was one study that said one-twelfth of the deaths that we've had is what we would have had if everybody tried to wear a mask. So if Trump, from, from in, if Trump in mid-March said, all right, listen, this is a virus, it's a terrible thing, but if everybody wears masks, if everybody goes out there and wears masks, we're going to be okay, we're going to get through this, we're going to defeat this virus, it's going to be incredible. If he did that and he wore a mask every time he went in public, I do think that that would have been enough to really, 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 really save so many lives. Because Democrats on the left would have worn masks because Democrats on the left, typically believe more in science and, you know, they believe in evolution and climate change. And they're going to say, oh, yes, it's a virus. A mask makes sense. And if people on the right saw that their leader was like, yes, this is the way to go, they probably would have worn it too. I said it. Have Trump sell Make America Great Again masks on his fucking website. It would have been wonderful. It would have saved a lot of lives. But he didn't do that. There's been a total lack of leadership. The way he handled it from the beginning was totally bungled. Um... And then forget it. They basically implemented corporate socialism in the fallout, which is a giant giveaway to corporate America as the people still got screwed. We have 20% real unemployment. We have 32% of Americans couldn't make their housing payment in July. We're going to see a foreclosure and homelessness crisis, the likes of which we haven't ever seen before. And people are onto it. And that adds effective. The number one issue in the minds of Americans today is COVID. It's COVID. So there was a new poll that came out. This is a snapshot. And honestly, guys, I think it might be game, set, match. I, I might be ready to call the election this early. I'm serious. Because now just good debates for Trump is not going to be enough. It's not enough. He could, Trump could hammer Biden in every single debate. It's not going to be enough for him to win. It's not going to be enough. The new poll, this is in Virginia. Trump's approval rating on COVID... 19%. Disapproval, 73%. When your approval rating on the issue that is the number one issue to the American people is 19%, there is no coming back from that. Biden could shit himself on stage during a debate and people would still be like, that's the shit of a leader right there, bro. That's some good shit, isn't it? I think so, too. Good debates aren't enough, I'm telling you. They're not enough now. He would need good debates and like a, an absolute miracle 
in terms of the unemployment rate plummeting massively, wages rising massively, and, you know, coronavirus being defeated. None of those things are going to happen. It's almost time to call the election. And we're still in July. (laughs) Wild, bro. I never would have thought. Can you imagine? Because early on, I was one of the people who was saying early on, oh, Trump would crush Biden. Little did we know there was going to be the economic collapse and, you know, virus, pandemic that just destroyed everything. Totally flipped the dynamics. A ham sandwich could be Trump right now. These numbers are not... You, you have zero chance that these numbers stay the same. 19% think he's doing a good job on corona. 19% in Virginia. There's not much else to say. Tick-tock, son. Biden better start picking out wallpaper for the White House now. Okay, next. Nina Turner is back at it. She's causing the good kind of trouble again. So the New York Post says, Bernie Sanders co-chair said voting for Joe Biden is like eating half a bowl of shit. Now, her exact quote, and I believe she gave this quote to The Atlantic, her exact quote was, it's like saying to somebody, you have a bowl of shit in front of you, and all you've got to do is eat half of it instead of the whole thing. It's still shit. So obviously this is a comparison between Joe Biden versus Donald Trump. And she's a million percent right. I don't even know how, <laughs> I don't even know how this is controversial. In left-wing circles, this is the most obvious thing that anybody could ever say. Yes, this is what it's like when you're considering the lesser of two evils. This is exactly what it's like. Now, listen, there are plenty of people who would still make the argument, as Jenk Uger does this all the time. He's, his argument is, okay, it's the lesser evil. Emphasis on the word lesser. Everybody in their heart of hearts prefers the lesser evil to the greater evil because less evil <laughs> is better than more evil. So there are plenty of people who are open and honest about the dynamic, and then still say, right, I, I grant your point, and I'm still going to vote for the lesser evil. And honestly, part of me totally respects those people because at least they're being genuine and sincere in how they're having the conversation. Now, the people that piss me off are the ones who deny that that's the dynamic at all, are the ones who say, no, this isn't, this isn't a debate of lesser evils at all. It's not like a full bowl of shit and half a bowl of shit. It absolutely is. If you have an ideology that in any way, shape, or form can be nominally described as left-wing, then of course that's what it's like. Joe Biden voted for the Iraq War. Minimum 200,000 civilians died in Iraq. He voted for that war. He did. Joe Biden supported the Patriot Act. Illegally spies on all Americans, takes away your Fourth Amendment protection from unreasonable search and seizure. Joe Biden supported that. Joe Biden supported a number of outsourcing deals. People lost their jobs. He's the architect of the crime bill, which led to modern-day mass incarceration, 
which is accurately called the new Jim Crow because we lock up so many poor people and people of color. So it is a racist drug war that he helped facilitate. Just based on those facts alone, of course it's a half ball of shit. Of course it is. Duh. And you know what you're signing up for if you vote for him? More neoliberal corporatism. Now, you could turn around and say, Kyle, that's better than, you know, neoconservative corporatism. Hey, dog, fair point to make. But don't deny the overall dynamic that Nina Turner is pointing out, because it's unquestionably true if you describe yourself as anywhere on the left. Anything from social democratic all the way to Marxist. If you're anywhere in that area, which is a large area, mind you, then she's right. Then she's right. So, you know, I love it because it's honest. I love it because it's honest. She's not mincing words. She's not walking on eggshells because this is, unfortunately, this is what happens all the time when you get close to elections. There's this sense of political correctness in the air where it's like, no, 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 now you're not allowed to say anything bad about the Democrat because we're up against the greater evil of Trump and the Republicans. So now we have to pretend like that half bowl of shit is a delicious fudge brownie. But I'm not going to pretend. I'm not going to pretend at all. I'm going to tell the truth. And then listen, you guys make up, make whatever decision you want to make about who you're going to vote for, who you're not going to vote for, whatever. Genuinely understand arguments on every side of this. So I'm not going to judge you on that front. You do whatever the hell you want to do. But I'm not going to bite my tongue and stop telling you the truth because it's politically incorrect to do so. I'm never going to do that. And obviously Nina Turner won't either. And let me also just say, there are at least two people who get the most abuse I've ever seen online. And that would be Brianna Joy Gray and Nina Turner. When you are a strong, independent-minded black woman, and... There are no holds barred, and you tell the truth no matter what, even if it's going after other Democrats. The torrent of disgusting abuse that they receive is way over the top and way above and beyond stuff that even people say to me. And obviously, I'm a little bit of a lightning rod as well in the conversation. But they get it way worse, way worse. And so, you know, it's always good to to give them support and tell tell them that we got their back because, you know, sometimes it's tough. You know, th- you guys might think it's easy or it's obvious to say these things. Yes, on, on one level it is because we're just telling the truth. But on the other hand, when you have so much societal pressure that tries to force you and mold you to say certain things and act certain ways and accept certain doctrines, it's a difficult thing, man. And so there's a, there's a lot of courage and a lot of spine to really stick your neck out and make these arguments, especially when you've also dipped your toe in the water of that official world. You know, Nina Turner has dipped her toe in the water of the official world. So she knows what it's like. She knows some of these key players that are part of the Democratic establishment. And let me tell you something, especially if you meet these people and you know these people, then it's even harder to tell the truth because you don't want, then it's all personal too. And you don't want to step on toes. You don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. You don't want anybody to get the wrong idea. But you know what Nina Turner does? She tells the truth no matter what. That's what she does. And so that's why I love this. 
I love this. She's going to be smeared relentlessly, and I feel terrible, but we need her voice. Her voice is incredibly important. She's one of the leaders on the left moving into the future, without a doubt. Maybe the leader. Maybe the leader. So, Nina, we got your back. You're 100% right. That's exactly what it is. You can interpret this fact however you want, that Trump is a giant bowl of shit and Biden is half a bowl of shit. You can interpret that and do with that information whatever the hell you want, and there's reasonable disagreement on how to proceed after knowing that fact. But you cannot take issue with that fact if you're anywhere on the left. That's just true. Okay. All right, I'm going to do one more before we take a break. Here we go. The Democrats are having the most democratic response imaginable to the looming foreclosure and eviction crisis. Exclusive. Democrats introduce a bill to fund legal assistance for those facing eviction. So we're about to have a foreclosure and eviction crisis where people are going to become homeless. They're going to become homeless. And the Democrats' response is, let's give these people lawyers. Why isn't your response, I'm going to keep you in your house? So here's some more information on it. Representatives Ayanna Presley, Rosa DeLauro, and Senator Kamala Harris introduced this bill. It's called the Housing Emergencies Lifeline Program, or the HELP Act. And it provides funding so those at risk of eviction can access legal representation. And any evictions would do limited damage to renters' credit. Um, and the HELP Act would allocate $10 billion in emergency solutions grants, which provides funding to states and localities for programs related to things like homelessness prevention and outreach. Um, it go, and again, the most important part is it goes towards legal representation for people who are about to be evicted. I, I seriously do not, this is, this is just too perfect. This is quintessential Democratic response. This is the Democrats in a nutshell. This is them embodied in a little nugget just perfectly. So you have the Republicans. The Republican reaction to the looming foreclosure and eviction crisis is effectively, LOL, bitch. Damn, you about to lose your house? That sucks. This is what the Republicans do. Oh, you, oh, the economy crashed and you lost your job and coronavirus is killing people. And none of this is any fault of your own. It's not like the people who lost their jobs and can't make their housing payment. It's not like they all woke up on the same day and were like, Let's be lazy on purpose. Let's be lazy, not work and not pay our bills, and then we'll get kicked out of our houses. So in other words, there's no – because Republicans love to make the argument that if you're poor, there's some sort of moral or ethical failing on your part. That's what they believe in their heart of hearts. They believe in the myth of American meritocracy. And so they think the harder you work, the further you go. Therefore, if you can't pay your bills, you're just not working hard enough. It's on you. It's your fault. It's your fault. Well, we know that that's a preposterous argument, especially given the state of affairs we're seeing right now because it's so stark. I mean, it was always a BS argument, but now you really see how BS of an argument it is because people are losing their jobs because of coronavirus. 
They're losing their job because the economy is imploding as a result of coronavirus. So it's no fault of their own. So, but the Republican response is www.getoveritbitch.org. They got nothing. They got nothing for you. Nothing. Not going to help you. Not going to give you any money. Are you kidding me? We'll give you a one-time $1,200 check that you have to spend in five minutes because you're behind on all your damn bills. And outside of that, what we'll do is we'll hand the keys to the treasury over to Goldman Sachs and Wall Street and let them plunder the whole goddamn thing. So we'll do corporate socialism for the rich, for the rich and for everybody at the top. And on the other hand, we'll give you crumbs and nothing, and you're going to shut up about it and take it. That's the Republican response. The Democrats step in and go, well, you know, I do think that maybe it's a bad thing that there are going to be evictions and whatnot, so I think maybe we should do something about this, please. Ask the Republicans their permission if maybe we could do something about it, please. And I think that if we give people lawyers, then maybe it'll be not as bad, but still... Millions of people will lose their houses, but at least we tried a little something. Useless. Completely and utterly useless. And this is why people hate the Democrats, too. This is why people hate the Democrats. This is why Congress always has an approval rating under 30%. How? How is that possible in a democracy? Less than 30% of the people like their own government that they just elected? How? How? Because everybody knows they're all bought and paid for. They're all corrupt. They're not representing you. This is the best you got? The best you got is I'll give you a lawyer as you become homeless? That's the best you got. A Democratic Party that would be a winning party that would build a coalition that would last for generations. For generations is a party that is unequivocal and stands up and has a spine and argues for the right position. The right position being, let's totally ban evictions and moratoriums, or excuse me, evictions and foreclosures, do a moratorium on that, and also bail out the homeowners. See, what, wait, wait, why was it that coronavirus was, it was such a, a terrible thing that we needed to act immediately to bail out the companies, but why is it not viewed as such a terrible thing and we need to act immediately to bail out the homeowners? Why does that not have the sense of urgency? The corporations getting their bailouts had the sense of urgency that we needed to act immediately within the first couple of days? That, that's how they react. Oh, my God, we got to do something. Oh, my God, give Steve Mnuchin $5 trillion and give the, let the Fed dump all this money into the market. Let's tell us what we got to do with the company, the corporations. Who would think of the corporations? Can stop Boeing. Boeing, are you okay, Boeing? But now people are about to lose their homes, and the best we got is lawyers? Why is anybody going out there saying, we're going to ban all evictions and foreclosures, and we're going to bail out the homeowners? Do it through a universal basic income. If everybody was getting $2,000 every month from the beginning of this crisis, we wouldn't be facing this eviction emergency. Millions more people would be able to stay in their houses. They never do the bailouts from the bottom up. It's from the top down. And why is it the Democrats always buy into the logic of the right and the corporatists? It's because they're also corporatists. They're also corporatists. If you float a bailout of the rich or of corporations, 
That's called duh in Washington, D.C. Everybody's in favor of that. What are you talking about? Obviously, we needed to do to save the economy. We had to save the economy. Try floating a bailout of the homeowners. See how far you get there. You know what will happen? All the same people who just voted for corporate socialism will turn around and say, Oh, socialism! Maduro, Venezuela! Oh, no! Soviet Union, Marxist, Antifa are the words that you'll interpret negatively. Oh! That's how they'll react. You see how you're being played? We're all being played. They had all the money in the world. The Fed was pumping a trillion dollars a day into the stock market to prop it up. But when 32% of the country couldn't make their July housing payment in Washington, (laughs) nobody's rushing to fix that. The best we got is a bill for lawyers, for lawyers. And these are supposed to be the best Congress people. This is unbelievable. I love my country, but fuck, man. What do you think is going to happen in this country when 40%, 50% of the country can't make their housing payment? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Is everything going to be okay? Are there going to be no protests and no riots? No civil unrest? We're just getting warmed up. You thought the George Floyd protests were bad and riots were bad? When half the country can't put a goddamn roof over their head, and the best we got is Democrats saying we'll give you a lawyer as you become homeless. I think I'm moving to the Bahamas. I've never. This is out of this world. I've never seen anything like this. This is embarrassing. This is pathetic. I'm. I'm sorry, but even fucking Bernie Sanders, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, all of you, all of you, all of you. What are you doing? What are you doing? Where are you at? Where are you at? Wait, nobody's calling for a bailout of renters and homeowners. Nobody's doing it. Nobody's saying total ban on evictions and foreclosures and bail them out. Nobody's saying that. Nobody's saying that. And don't even get me started on the media. They should be saying exactly what I'm saying right now, but none of them are. It's, we live in the twilight zone. We live in the twilight zone. Fuck. Okay. All right. When we come back, I'm going to give you some specific numbers on the eviction and moratorium, uh, the eviction crisis. Why do I keep saying moratorium? Stay right there. We'll be right back with that and much more. Don't go anywhere.
I'm back, everybody. And I'm not done talking about what is quickly becoming a defining issue of our time, which is the eviction crisis. I actually still have much more to say about it, because I have some new numbers for you as well. And these numbers paint um, a truly, truly, truly devastating picture. All right, hold on one sec. All right, that's delicious. Anyway, <clears throat> bitch. All right, which story numero was it? Here we go. Okay, let me set this up for you. So we discussed um, the Democrats' response to the looming foreclosure and eviction crisis. It's not good. The Republicans' response is to show you their middle finger. The Democrats' response is to say, hey, as you're losing your home, we're going to get you a lawyer. So there's, it's just not, none of this is enough, obviously. What you need to do is just totally um, ban foreclosures and evictions, and you need to do a bailout from the bottom up for once in our lives. Every time there's been a bailout, it's always top down. It's always like, give it to the corporations, give it to the rich, and then let's hope they do the right thing. Nobody ever says just bail out the people. I'm saying it, bail out the people. Everybody who's going to lose their home, it's not their fault. It's the fault of coronavirus. It's the fault of bad government governance. And it's the fault of the economy imploding. It's not the fault of the individuals, obviously. I mean, that should require zero convincing. So since it's not their fault, of course we need to do something about this. And nobody's doing enough. Well, just how bad is this crisis? Well, we have some new numbers here from CNBC. And buckle up. Because this is stunning. So this is the percentage in each state facing eviction. Renter households, this is. Um, So just look at some of those numbers. I I mean, we're not going to go through all of them. But just, you know, scan over what you see there. And tell me that this is not one of the most terrifying things you've ever seen. You have no, I believe the low number, I believe the low number is 22% in Vermont. So even the low number, it's a quarter of people in Vermont who can't make their housing payment. And then when you look at some of the highs, guys, we got 59% of renters in West Virginia can't make their payment. 59%. And you got a bunch of others in that ballpark, 58% in Tennessee, 55% in Mississippi, 50% in Louisiana, 48% in Texas, 46% in New York. I don't know how to say this any clearer. We've never seen a crisis of this magnitude, ever. Ever. The closest thing is the Great Depression. I mean... But when you're talking about 40% of the country, 50% of the country, 
is like, I can't put a roof over my head. That's a failed state. That's a failed system. The mask has been ripped off, totally ripped off of our crumbling empire. All it took, we were a house of cards, and all it took, or, or Jenga, remember the game Jenga? You just take the wrong thing out, and then boom, it all comes tumbling down. That's us. That's us. And that's what COVID-19 did. All the extreme income and wealth inequality, all these deep problems, these rifts in society. One pandemic, and boom, it, it's a wrap. So just to give you some more information real quick, by one estimate, oh, Jesus, I, this is the highest number I've seen yet. By one estimate, some 40 million Americans could be evicted during COVID. COVID is still, it, it's at a peak, and we're talking about still maybe stopping the, the moratorium on evictions and foreclosures. It's at a peak. What are you doing? Obviously, it's going to spread the virus more. But even if it didn't, again, it's not their fault. So how could we just sit idly by and watch this happen to people? One estimate, 40 million Americans could be evicted during the public health crisis. Now, just to put that in perspective, in 2016, there were 2.3 million evictions. 2.3 million in 2016, 40 million. It could be up to 40 million coming shortly. Um, And then how's this for a fact? I I find this amazing because with all the protests going on about criminal justice, how race is the center of the conversation because of police brutality and what happened to George Floyd, how many places have you heard this fact? People of color are especially vulnerable, while almost half of white tenants say they're highly confident they can continue to pay their rent. Only 26% of African-American tenants could say the same. And this is, you know, one of my main problems with our political system is that you have corporations and you have politicians who are more than willing to lend symbolic support to communities of color. You know, oh, you want me to take a knee? I'll take a knee. You want me to hold a fist up and say Black Lives Matter? I'll hold a fist up and say Black Lives Matter. You want me to, you know, pull down old episodes of the Golden Girls for problematic jokes or whatever? Fine. You want to get rid of Aunt Jemima and Uncle Ben? Cool. But it's all empty virtue signaling. You know, one of the most important points, and when you say this, you get called a class reductionist, but one of the most important points is that Yes, when it comes to key economic and health indicators, communities of color are getting hammered. So what's the solution in a situation like that? The solutions are universal. The solutions are, let's have Medicare for all and everybody gets health care. Well, when it's communities of color that are most harmed at the the lack of health care in the country, then yes, having universal health care, all of a sudden it becomes a racial justice issue as well. Wages. Did you know it's mostly women who um, make the minimum wage. So if you raise the minimum wage to a living wage, that's a feminist issue. Now, again, if you say that, you're not allowed to say this stuff. If you say this stuff, you know, you get looked at like a dirty class reductionist and, you know, you're not woke enough or whatever. But why is, why is it viewed as sufficiently woke when people ignore this fact? But I'm the one telling you the fact. The fact is, People of color are more vulnerable in this housing crisis. 
Half of white renters say, I'm certain I could pay the rent. It's only 26% of black renters. You didn't hear that fact anywhere else. Now, yes, we're talking about racial justice in the context of how the economy is screwing people of color, but that counts and that matters. And there's a reason why you never hear your run-of-the-mill politicians bring this up, because they don't want to do dick about it. Do you understand? It's easy to take a knee. It's easy to put a fist up and say Black Lives Matter. It's easy to give you symbolism all day long until the cows come home. It's easy to browbeat people and tell them to read the book White Fragility, which basically says, hey, if you're white, you need to apologize and you're a piece of shit and you need to bend the knee and you need to view race in this neoliberal, empty, vacuous framework. It's easy to do that stuff. What's hard is actually addressing the systems of racism and inequality. And this is a system of racism and inequality. But the solutions are universal. You know how you fix this? You put a ban on more. You put a ban on. Why do I keep saying moratoriums? You put a ban or a moratorium on foreclosures and evictions. That's the way you fix it. Now you won't get credit from the woke crowd if you do such a thing. People won't say that. Oh wow, that's a big win for racial justice. But it is, and it's also a racial uh, a big win for justice. Justice. So, again, these are the things you're not allowed to say, but I'm saying them. And we don't, people are not wrapping their minds around what's happening and what's coming. This is a crisis that we've never seen in our lifetimes, man. You want to talk about civil unrest? It's going to get beyond ugly. The George Floyd protests are just a warm-up. This is going to get out of control unless something is done and it needs to be done ASAP, and it needs to be big, and it needs to be bold, at the very least, we need a new FDR. At the very least, we need giant, giant systemic reform. Okay, next. Lee Fong found something amazing buried in a recent congressional bill, and this says so much here. The Senate bill provides an additional $400,000 to the exclusive medical clinic that provides basically free, high-quality government health care to lawmakers. Congress has increased the funding for its health clinic three times now in the last year. Socialized medicine for me, not for thee. The same people who do this with a smile on their faces and who are the beneficiaries of this system are the same people who who will turn around and say, not for you, never for you. In fact, and I don't want to just point the finger at the Republicans here. I don't want to do that because the problem is a lot deeper than just the Republican politicians. It's, it's all the Republican politicians, and I mean all of them. There's not a single Republican politician I know of that's elected that's in favor of Medicare for all. But it's the Democratic politicians, too. So the other day, DNC committee, ready? I mentioned this before, but 36 were in favor of Medicare for all. 125 were against. This is in the middle of a pandemic. All the arguments are rationalizations to protect the status quo for their donors. 
So you have Democratic politicians and you have Republican politicians. They take money from big pharma and they take money from for-profit health insurance companies. And so when they legislate, they have their well-being in mind, not your well-being, not yours. The well-being of their donors in mind because they funded their campaigns. It's I scratch your back, you scratch mine. So now these politicians know the next time I run, I'll go get a check from Pfizer. I'll go get a check from, you know, Humana or Blue Cross Blue Shield. And it's that, that cycle of corruption. And your needs are never met. Guys, uh, you know, the numbers are just out of this world. But even before coronavirus hit, 7 million people lost their health insurance, Trump's administration. And then forget it, after coronavirus hit, tens of millions, I think the exact number is 27 million people lost their employee-sponsored health insurance. It's a failed system. It's a, and the Democrats' response was what? The Republicans said, we're not going to do anything. The Democrats said, let's subsidize COBRA. COBRA is a program that's just an even bigger giveaway to the for-profit health insurance companies. It's a giant subsidy to them, the unnecessary middleman that's robbing you. But again, now you know, based off the story I just told you here, and again, credit to Lee Fong for being the political nerd that he is and digging into all these things that pass. But what this shows is there's not actually an ideological principled objection to government health care. That effectively, when it boils down to it, there are ways to craft a Medicare for All system where it's simply a matter of funding. Who's going to fund it? Like, that's it. You can keep everything exactly the same. If you're somebody who says, oh, my God, you know, a private health system is so important because we trust the private market more than we trust the government. Okay, but there's a way to do a Medicare for All system that keeps that intact. You can have public funding of private institutions, private clinics, private hospitals, private doctors. You could just do it that way, and then there is no objection. It's just a matter of, okay, well, how are we going to fund these private doctors and these private institutions? With tax money! That's the single payer! So, even if you have the objection, like, oh, I prefer it be private in terms of the care that's delivered, okay, but why would you object to having it funded with tax dollars? Because that's what they do for themselves. They're funding their own health care with tax money. That's the whole idea of a government system. But we could spend all this money on corporate bailouts every seven and a half minutes, and we could spend all this money on endless war and our bloated military budget, but we can't spend money to make sure every American gets the same kind of health care that Congress gets. Obviously, they don't think it's some sort of scary, draconian, backward system, because they use it. So they know it works for them. Why wouldn't it work for all of us? Why can't you have this sort of clinic in every single fucking community in the country that's funded with tax money? You can. They don't want to, because they're corrupt. Am I getting through? All right, I think it's time to make fun of some Republicans. What do you guys think? We're going to make fun of Dan Crenshaw, who is really annoying. He thinks he's like the right-wing AOC, and it's just sad. We're going to make fun of Rush Limbaugh. Then the Trump campaign gets schooled by Fox. 
that is not something that we've seen <laughs> happen very often, but it happens. Okay. Okay, here we go. Congressman Dan Crenshaw is warning about the dangers of Antifa. So he went on Fox News. Um, I'm going to show you what he said here. This is funny for a number of reasons, but uh, when we come back, I'll break down the problem with what he's saying. Seconds left, but Antifa, do they exist? Because some Democrats don't think they exist. Republicans are bringing it up because it's a distraction. We'll have have security hearings with the FBI. Whoops. My bad. Hold on. Run that back, bitch. But Antifa, do they exist? Because some Democrats don't think they exist. Republicans are bringing it up because it's a distraction. We'll have we'll have security hearings with the FBI and the Homeland Security Committee, and I will hear multiple Democrats question whether Antifa even exists. I will hear that in the halls of Congress. It, it truly is unbelievable. <laughs> and I think, guys, if you're not sure if they exist, there's hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of videos of them. They wear a uniform, basically. They have a symbol. Yes, they exist. Yes, they exist. They're, uh, you know, you can call them anarcho-fascist communists, whatever they are. In any case. They're basically a domestic terrorist organization. Okay, they're destroying property, they're hurting people, and, and they fundamentally want a revolution inside the United States of America. And we can't we can't sugarcoat this anymore. Okay, so I mean, they love to have their boogeymen and act like. You know, this is the most pressing issue facing the country, but I hate to inject some facts into the conversation here for Dan Crenshaw, but there's a reason why people are talking about Antifa as if it's not a big problem. First of all, there's no sign of Antifa so far in Justice Department cases brought over the unrest. And then also, the FBI has found no evidence of Antifa's involvement in national unrest. So... If Antifa was doing the violence, was doing the rioting, was doing the looting or whatever, there would have been charges brought against them. At the very least, there would have been some instances of some of them getting caught and getting charged. They're not. You don't see it with local law enforcement. You don't see it with the feds. So, you know... I hate to burst this bubble, and you know who else is going to be mad at me for saying this stuff? Antifa themselves. They're really not that big of an issue. (laughs) They're just not. The right-wing boogeyman is that they're highly organized, highly funded, highly trained, like scary Marxist terrorists who are just plotting against America (laughs) 24-7. But listen, anybody who's been in left circles for an extended period of time can tell you this if they're being honest. The left is insanely unorganized, um, totally leaderless. It's just a bunch of ragtag, it's a bunch of different separate people, sometimes groups, most of the time not. And 
There's no national organization. There's no structure. There's no hierarchy. There's no marching orders. There's no nothing, son. What happened in the wake of the George Floyd murder, it was totally organic. Now, yes, can you say some people went too far in, in, in their reaction? Absolutely. Nobody condones, you know, wanton violence or, and stuff like that. Or if they, and if they do, they're silly. Um, but it's, it's just not what they're making it out to be. Which gets to the most important point, which is these guys contradict themselves all the time. Half the time, Antifa is like, they're highly trained Marxists who are doing this long-term plot to overthrow America and do a revolution, and they're scary and they're effective. And then the other half of the time, they're soy boy losers who, you know, are weak and live in mommy's basement, and they don't know what they're doing, and they're pathetic excuses for men. Which is it? You have to pick one, and you can't just change based off of your mood. <laughs> you can't just flip it based off of whatever, you know, fits the story of the day. You're going to make this part of the grand narrative based on the story of the day. fact of the matter is, Antifa has no organizational structure. Um, they have no hierarchy. They have no leadership. They have you know, no long-term plans outside of just, let's try to stop fascists. And you actually have massive disagreements from within. Whoever would call themselves Antifa, you will see massive disagreement on certain things. You know, you will see some people say property violence is legitimate, and others say, no, it's not, and, uh, you know, any kind of violence is illegitimate. And It's like any group, except I would argue that the left is usually more disorganized than any other group. So, you know, it's just not what they say it is. And, and let me be clear, you know, I agree with Noam Chomsky when Noam Chomsky said that Antifa is actually a giant gift to the right, because... For the few Antifa that are out there, there are many of them that fit that caricature and that stereotype of, like, let me embrace authoritarian tactics because I'm so anti-authoritarian. And it's like, you're against the tactics when the right uses it, but you're fine when you use it, so that's not, like, you're helping the right because it helps them with, you know, their marketing and, and uh, the arguments that they make because you kind of have fulfilled this stereotype role. So I actually agree with Noam Chomsky on that. But listen, they're just not that big of a deal. And they're, it's just not some sort of highly coordinated national organization that's really making headway. And, you know, in some ways, I wish. I don't necessarily, because I don't think they have the right theory of change, but I wish there was a highly organized left that could, you know, bring about the reform that we need. I wish we had a left that was so highly organized and so effective that we push our politicians to do Medicare for all and free college and end the drug war and free the nonviolent drug offenders and end the wars. Like, there's all these things I want to do. And, you know, if you listen to Dan Crenshaw, it's like you had these commies and, and anarchists out there in the street and Antifa, and that's what they're trying to do, a revolution to get those ideas implemented. And they're just not doing that. They're not, you know, unfortunately, to the, if you talk to a lot of these people as to why they're out there, you get a plethora of answers, and some of them are just very uh, reactionary and thoughtless in a way, where, you know, it, reactionary is not the right word, reflexive. You know, why are you out there? Uh, police brutality. Okay, what are your solutions? Defund the police. 
Okay, but specifically, what do you want to do? Stuff and things. Okay, okay. See, this is why I get upset, because there is no highly organized left with clear goals that are using a strategy that's going to get us from point A to point B. When you have groups like Antifa and others, it's really just a ragtag amalgamation of a whole bunch of individuals that are in this, under this broad umbrella, but they're not effective. There's no order or leadership or hierarchy or, or clear path or theory of change. It's just, you know, it's kind of like just chaos and mayhem, and they're relatively ineffectual. So the boogeyman argument and the scary, they're terrorist argument, that really doesn't land with me. Um, the other argument is, like, half right. The argument of, like, no, they're just, like, they don't know what they're doing, and they're kind of confused, and they're out there just, you know, trying to cause some mayhem, and they're kind of weaklings. Like, that one I get more, but even that's not, that doesn't fully encapsulate what's going on and why people are in the streets. And just know that if there was some sort of grand plot the FBI, the Department of Justice, the local police departments, they would have figured it out. And instead, they haven't, because the left just isn't what they're making it out to be. All right, next. Rush Limbaugh went off on his show. Um, He's talking here about COVID-19 and the protests that we see in the streets still. And he came across an article that critiqued the myth of American greatness. And this idea that American greatness is a myth, it really triggered him. And so he goes off and winds up going in a thousand different directions. Let's watch, and then I'm going to dissect it. The greatness of this country is not a myth. The greatness of this country is very specific. There are specific reasons, specific explanations for it. It's just heartbreaking that they haven't been taught in almost 50 years. We've lost two generations to the public education system, which then enables some dude cough like this guy to write a piece saying America's national greatness myths are shattering. Should they survive? Can they survive? Here's the subhead. Rather than restore some idealized, jingoistic version of who we are, let's use this painful moment of self-doubt to remake the reality of America. Speak for yourself, buddy. We who love this country have zero self-doubt about it. None. Let's use this painful moment of self-doubt to remake the reality. How about we use this painful moment of self-doubt to vanquish the American left? How in the world can anyone with any kind of an intellect at all look at the United States, see its role, 
that it played in the establishment of human liberty and freedom and want no part of it. Well, obviously, people to whom human liberty and freedom are a problem. Now, the communists and socialists, human liberty and freedom, free choice, that's a problem. The state becomes the repository of all freedom. The state determines who can do what, when, where, why. The state determines who has what. The state determines who gets what. But how in the world can, this is, I ask myself, how in the world can otherwise intellectually qualified people not value the concept of individual liberty and freedom? And yet, people who are leading this anti-American movement are of exactly that frame of mind. You take out the United States of America, and you take out the United States economy, and you have set up your precious globalism and world government because you are creating worldwide poverty and thus worldwide need. And when you, the global government, or whoever you are, become the provider to those in need, guess who you own? But none of this could be happening if it weren't for the fact that the United States is under assault and being taken down on the basis of a pack of lies. It always has to be that the United States is under assault with a pack of lies. It can't be that there are people in the country who ideologically disagree with Rush Limbaugh, and so they're laying out what their vision would look like. No. In his mind, that disagreement is, the United States of America is under assault with a pack of lies. What lies? What lies? Well, he's pretty clear throughout the whole thing. He views an article that talks about the myth of American greatness. He thinks that's a lie. It's a lie to say that it's a myth that America is great. It's so amazing to me that, you know, Rush Limbaugh and a lot of these people on the far right, right, they fancy themselves as like, we tell the uncomfortable truths, bro. That's what we do. Facts above everything else. You know what I'm saying? Like Ben Shapiro, facts over feelings, bro. But then their feelings override the facts whenever somebody critiques America. And notice, when a lefty critiques America, it's because you hate America. When a righty critiques America... It's because the right-wingers obviously trying to make the country better. Trump criticized the U.S. viciously all the time. Make America great again. Because it's not good now. We've got to make it great again. Somehow when he critiqued it, well, that's just because he wants to make the country better, duh. But when a left-winger critiques it, you want to destroy America. See, this is why, like, and he, he's on his way out in terms of being, a, you know, a big voice. He hasn't been really a giant voice for much longer, but he got a freaking medal from Trump. But he's on the way out because this represents an old 1980s style um, conservatism. This is movement conservatism. And frankly, it just, it's been totally unmasked and it's incredibly stupid. Now, unfortunately, these are the people who are running the country now. But this old school version of conservative commentary, it doesn't have staying power. Because it's just, it's on its face, it's absurd. So let's go through some of the stuff that he says there. Um, look, 
Wait, did I? Oh, shit, I put the notes on the wrong page. My bad. How did I fuck that up? Hold on. My bad, y'all. Accidentally flipped to the wrong page. Yeah, I don't know how the fuck that happened. Okay, anyway, I'm on the right page now. Anyway, so... Attacking the idea that... America... American greatness is a myth. This is a guy who believes in American exceptionalism. And American exceptionalism is definitely a myth. Look no further at the fact that we have 150,000 people who just died from COVID-19, and that's steadily rising, and our cases are rapidly rising as well. And other developed countries have handled this way better than we have. So you can't just close your eyes and, and cover your ears and go, Wee! whenever somebody points out that we have done things that are objective failures. You can't do that. That makes no sense. But that is what he does. You know, the whole point of the article is American greatness is a myth. Look at all these indicators that prove that American greatness is a myth. He's like, how dare you, sir? Um, He says the public education system has failed two generations of kids. And his argument is that, well, they're indoctrinating them with anti-Americanism. They're definitely not. And, but the picture painted of this country in public schools is a hell of a lot more nuanced than what Rush Limbaugh wants to be taught in schools. Like, I would like to ask Rush, if they teach the history of America and they teach that we had slavery in this country and that there was, we did the Native American genocide in this country and we did Japanese internment, for example, and we did torture at Guantanamo Bay and we waged an illegal war on a country that didn't attack us with Iraq, if they talk about that, would Rush be against that? Would he say, you're not allowed to talk about that because it makes us look bad? Or would he say, let's talk about that but put a positive spin on everything? Like, what? how do you walk that line exactly? But to say that the public education says we lost a couple generations of kids, why? Because they learned more information about the country? If anything, I would argue it's still probably ever so slightly biased in a more pro-America direction, not like an anti-America direction or a truly objective direction. Listen, I'm not saying everything needs to be taught as America's bad. No, but you teach everything. And yes, you can do value judgment, judgments when appropriate. I think one of the best things in this country is freedom of speech. You could talk about that in a positive light. But I think it's pretty bad when you talk about the history of the Native American genocide and slavery and Jim Crow and all these other problems. You know, he either wants to put a positive spin on that or not talk about that, and that's absurd. Um, and he goes on and says, well, America established human liberty and freedom. And how can otherwise intellectual people not, like, appreciate these things and, and view these things as, as positives? And he's arguing with a straw man here because nobody came out and said, you know, we think freedom and liberty are bad things. Nobody said that. They're saying our conception of what freedom and liberty is is different from your conception of it. So, in other words, if you talk to a socialist, talk to an intelligent socialist. And Ben Burgess, for example, go talk to him about socialism. And he would probably make the argument that, no, actually, the reason I am a socialist is because I actually think it gives people more freedom and more liberty. You know, when you democratize a workplace, what are you doing? You're giving somebody 
who's a worker who had no say and needed to take orders from the boss, you're giving them a direct say in the company now. They have more freedom. They have more of a voice to, to be heard. So, but it's easy to just straw man your opponent and say, oh, I'm pro-freedom and liberty and you're against it, you evil commies and socialists. And the funny thing is, of course, is Rush Limbaugh out on his show every single day saying we need to end the drug war and free all the nonviolent drug offenders and legalize drugs in this country? Is he out there saying we need to legalize physician-assisted suicide because it's a freedom issue? It's an individual rights issue? He's not saying that at all because he doesn't even believe those things. So I would argue, in many ways, he doesn't believe in freedom and liberty. Very clear, defined, specific ways which I can point to. Another point that socialists make all the time, and they're correct, is how can you say you're truly free when your boss is your tyrant? Your boss is the emperor. Your boss is the dictator. If they could tell you to do whatever the hell they want you to do, how is that freedom? It's only freedom for the business owner. And in that conception, regular people are just kind of like cogs in a, in a machine. You're kind of like property in that conception of the world when you talk about capitalism. So again, he's just not, he doesn't treat the arguments against his position seriously. He doesn't actually engage like the best of his opponent's arguments. He just immediately strawmans socialists and communists and the left as you're anti-liberty and freedom and I'm pro-liberty and freedom. Um, and then he goes on to say, and I don't even know where he got this from. Oh, what they're trying to do presumably the protesters, is set up globalism and one-world government. Okay, but if, I'm sure if you go talk to the protesters in the streets, I mean, maybe some of them would say, yes, that's what I'm working for. But that seems like, if anything, even if people are for it, it's a project that's way out there in the future. It strikes me like a lot of the people are out there in the streets right now because they saw George Floyd get murdered and they say, you know, police murdering people's bad, so let's stop police from murdering people. You know, through a variety of different reforms. Some go as far as they defund the police, of course. But if you go talk to individual protesters, they'll give you a million reasons for being out there. It's not like they're all organized and on the same page. And everybody's like, globalism and one world government. That's ridiculous. Again, it's just a straw man to scare his audience. Therefore, the United Nations telling you what to do. That's what they want. They want globalism and one world government. And then he goes on to say... You know, without the United States, if you have this globalist system, there would be worldwide poverty without the U.S. leading the world. My dude, I don't know if you've been keeping up with the news that's been coming out, but there's going to be 40 or 50 percent of the country that can't make their housing payments. You want to talk about poverty? How about 20 percent actual unemployment? How about the people who still have jobs are taking 20 percent, 25 percent pay cuts? How about that? You want to talk about poverty? Well, shit, well, I guess you're in favor of doing something to save the 40 or 50% of people who could lose a roof over their head, right? Right? Because that would be extreme poverty, and you make clear you're against extreme poverty, right? No, see, this is a guy who doesn't care about any of that. He doesn't even care about raising the minimum wage, raising wages in general. He's just using this because he thinks it fits his argument. Well, if there's a globalist system and a one-world government and the U.S. isn't leading the world anymore, then we're going to have poverty. Well, with the U.S. being the world's sole superpower, we're leading the world right now. 
There's extreme poverty in many places, including in the United States of America, where, by the way, there are some southern states. I don't know how many of you guys know this. There are southern states where third world diseases are making a comeback because the infrastructure is so woefully inadequate. Because they don't have proper plumbing, for example. And this guy's talking about, we might have poverty if the U.S. doesn't run the world. What about the poverty we have now? What about the 30 million people who lost their health care under Trump? What about them? An old breed of conservative. This is their last gasps, gasps for air. The movement conservatism of Rush Limbaugh. Because as you can see, it's deeply unserious, unthoughtful. It's just completely reactionary, totally built on straw mans of his political opponents. And I mean, I just think this is such a good example of it here. He took COVID-19 and he took protests in the streets to argue the left wants one world government and they want it based on a pack of lies and they're indoctrinating people into pushing for globalism and a one-world government. Let's start with the basics, bro. Let's just raise wages and make sure people get health care. Can we start there? I asked that question, but of course he would answer no because he's silly. All right, next. Fox Business Network has actually had enough of Trump. This is something else. I've never seen this before. So the hosts over at Fox Business Network have apparently had enough of the poll denialism coming from the Trump campaign. And um, one of them kind of snapped on a Trump surrogate. Watch this. President Trump trailing Joe Biden, who has barely been out on the campaign trail, and his only presence is really, you know, out of his house. He's trailing in national polls. He's trailing in all the swing state polls. And Valerie Jarrett pivots to the here and now because the number one issue for Americans is the coronavirus. It's not the economy. It's not even race relations. And according to the latest Fox News poll, President Trump trails Joe Biden on doing a better job on coronavirus by 17 points. Why isn't the president's message resonating then? Well, first of all, a lot of those polls are junk. We can talk about methodology well, that's a and science out. on those that's a, a lot. Out. You know, you can it argue is. that they don't indicate how the election turns out. That's fine. But that's just a cop-out, Hogan. It's not a cop-out when the numbers bear out the fact that 10% more Democrats are surveyed in these polls than there were in 2016. That's just sheer mathematics. I can't change that. So they are skewed to the left for sure. But if we're talking about coronavirus, that's the beauty of this election. So many times we're talking in the abstract. What would it look like if somebody were president? You don't have to guess what it would look like for pandemic responses under Joe Biden. Uh, he was in the office uh, of, the, uh, of the White House for eight years, and when H1N1 swine flu hit this country, all he did was shut down testing. He well, said, we're not going to report. These clearly, polls clearly matter to you and the president because he's changed his position and tone based on that very polling to focus more on the virus because you're losing on that subject. 
Never did I think we would see a Fox News host or a Fox Business host who otherwise is incredibly sympathetic to Republicans and Trump be that aggressive against Trump. That is really something. And notice what it took. It took repeated attempts to deny the polling numbers and the state of the race. And they let them go for a long time, guys. They really let them go for a long time. And then after a while, they're just like, okay, but how can you possibly change the state of the race in your direction if you don't acknowledge the state of the race? You can't mount a comeback if you're not even acknowledging that you need a comeback. Do you not understand that this, like, this hurts your electoral chances? Do you not get that? It should be readily apparent. It should be completely obvious. So, you know, this is what it took for them to finally be like, seriously? Come on, that's a cop-out. It is the definition of a cop-out, and they've been doing it all along. So there's one point at the end there that I want to address because I thought this just shows you how totally out of it they are. He brings up, um, oh, swine flu, the swine flu death rate. Like, oh, my God, Biden wants to hit him on COVID-19. Well, what about swine flu under him and Obama? I can't believe that they're using that poor of an argument because, again, when you look at the death rate, um, it depends which number you go by. But even the top number, it's anywhere from like 4,000 to about 12,000 deaths in the U.S. Guys, with COVID-19, we're talking about 150,000 so far, and we're not even close to done. Now, you can say, hey, it's different viruses, it's apples and oranges, so maybe it's not the exact right comparison. I didn't bring it up. He brought it up. He brought it up. So that... This is what I'm trying to get through to you guys. You can't, you can't lean into all of your shittiness and then hope that you're going to come out looking better. Why would you bring up an issue wherein, in that range of comparison, he would crush you? Why would you do such a thing? It makes no sense. Which brings me back to the main point of this segment, responding to what he said there. So this is their line. It's been their line for a long time. Oh, they're junk poles. It's fake news. They're, they're, they're fake news polls. Now, there's a couple things I want to say in response to that. There were a few polls in 2016 where Trump was actually up over Hillary. Why is it that the polls where he was up weren't fake news? Any poll that came out with him up or close, he would tweet it, and he would brag about it. So let me get this straight. Those polls are real, but the polls from the same companies at other times which showed him down they're not real. Fake news when he's down, real news when he's up. Beyond that, let's grant him what he said for a second. Man, the polls, they're biased statistically in favor of the Democrats. Why would the Democrats want to do that? Because if anything, that'll suppress turnout. If people get overconfident and they think Biden has this giant lead, that'll lead more people to stay at home and not vote for Biden thinking he has it in the bag. So why would the Democrats actively work on a polling conspiracy that would hurt their electoral chances? It, it, would, it would defy logic. If anything, the Trump administration should like that fact because then it will spur his voters to the polls and it will depress turnout among the Democrats. But, like, even if you grant them, okay, the polls are fake, they're skewed in favor of the Democrats, 
we already looked. There's already been an analysis done where they said, what if there was the same number of secret pro-Trump voters that turned out in 2020 as did in 2016? In 2016, there was some contingent of voters who weren't telling pollsters that they were pro-Trump, but they showed up and they voted for Trump. Okay, fair enough. So if we had the same set of facts this time in 2020, what would happen? Biden would still win over 300 electoral votes. Even in a scenario where there is a secret pro-Trump turnout, Biden would win 310 electoral votes. So you can't, there's no amount of screaming, junk polls, fake news, that's going to fix this situation. When you look at the average of polls, okay, Hillary was up two to four points nationally. Biden's up nine. That's not a little thing. He's always been up more than the margin of error. Did you know that in 2016 in July, a poll came out that showed Trump up over Hillary? The most recent polls we've seen in July of 2020, it was Trump down 13 and 15 respectively. You can't just swat that away, and that's what they're doing. They're trying to swat it away. So, uh, listen, bottom line is this, man. A poll came out in Virginia specifically. The number one issue to the American people right now is coronavirus. You want to know what Trump's approval was on coronavirus in Virginia? 19%. That's that's an electoral death sentence for Trump. Completely. Completely. There's no way around that. Even if he has good debates and Biden ships himself, he would lose. You can't have a 19% approval rating on the most important issue to the American people and get away with it. It can't happen. So when even your closest allies and your friends are telling the campaign, like, listen, bro, you got to wake up, skis. You can't. You got to do something. You have to change course. You have to do it. When even your top allies are telling you that, you know it's real. So... I'll be very curious to see if there's ever any acknowledgement of the reality of the race. If there will ever be a moment of like, yes, we're down and we're going to push through. It's happened, but it was only brief. And it was Trump um, with a side comment that he didn't even realize he made. He was talking to Sean Hannity and he said about Biden, like, this guy's going to be your president. That's what this guy's going to be your president. So like he will win, which is an acknowledgement. Like, I know I'm down right now. But he moved on quickly, and then, you know, I'm sure the next day he said something which overrode that, which was like, no, 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 we're up, we're up. But, yeah, this is, um, it's crazy. And it does kind of fit in perfectly with the narrative that you do have on the Republican side of the aisle, there is, like, kind of an open embracing of some genuinely anti-intellectual positions. I'm not saying you can't go through the methodology of polls. Lord knows we've done it before, and Lord knows we've seen problems, for sure. But it's not every single poll. It's not every single poll. It's not all fake news. It can't just be swatted away. You know, it's a trend. It's a trend, and it's real. And this fits right in with the same kind of Republican Party that would argue that climate change isn't real and evolution isn't real. Like, this fits in perfectly with that anti-intellectualism streak, but it's just so brazen and in your face now that 
Fox hosts are like, come on, bro. All right, let's go to the independent. I'm going to give you, this is the final story of the day, y'all. Final story of the day, you bitch. Final story of the day, you bitch. Mm-mm. So the escalation that we were fearing from Trump has now commenced. The Independent says, Trump administration sending federal officers to Cleveland, Detroit, and Milwaukee. So this is what we were worrying about. We thought, like, fuck, what if he really sends these federal troops, like, anywhere he wants, casually, willy-nilly, overriding state and local officials? That's what he's doing. That's what he's doing. Uh, Now, there was another story that came out where apparently he's going to take them out of Portland. So that's a good thing if he actually follows through and does it. It's yet to be seen. Um, The only saving grace of this story is that at least as of right now, they're they're reporting only 100 federal officers to Cleveland, Detroit, and Milwaukee. But having said that, that's not – this is not good. This is not their purview. This is not what they should be doing. The conservative position, which would be an acceptable conservative position, is that if you really want to crack down and bring, bring back law and order, you do have to leave it to the police. You know, that's, that's their job. You don't have federal troops invade American cities unwanted. They don't even have the authority to do a lot of what they've been doing, like the, the secret arrests in Portland. People are just dragged out of the streets and interrogated by Department of Homeland Security officials, well, like a paramilitary. We have, like, the Border Patrol all decked out in camo in the streets. This, this is quite literally un-American and unacceptable. Now, listen, the thing I can't get out of my head, I really, I just can't get over this. Look at how quickly the federal government reacted when there, when there was civil unrest. There were protests. There were instances of rioting and looting, for sure. It has mostly been peaceful, but there were, like, Minneapolis in the first few nights, yes, there was rioting and looting. But they acted immediately. Compare how quickly they act when it's responding to this versus COVID-19. In theory, the reason why the government, the government is sending these federal troops is, oh, my God, what we have to protect Americans. We have to protect Americans and protect our beautiful cities. Yeah, that same logic, except applied to COVID-19, please. Do you want to protect Americans? Do you want to protect your beautiful cities? Well, we got 150,000 people who are now dead as a result of this virus. We have millions of people who have had the virus, and the official numbers probably lag way behind the real numbers. The real numbers are probably at least 10 times as high. You know, uh, how is that not a, not a priority? And the solutions are so simple, and he doesn't want to do it. If we, we just had universal masks from mid-March, we would have cut this death rate massively. Didn't want to do it. And that's as restricting of your freedom as wearing a freaking seatbelt. And it's going to save a lot more lives if you just 
wear the mask. He didn't do that. He can't be bothered to save American lives by saying, wear a mask. But he can be bothered to send federal agents who are actually, and here's the most important point, they're actually going to exacerbate the problem. When you send federal troops into the streets uncalled for, unwanted, you're exacerbating the problem. And this is one of the biggest issues people have with Trump, is that he always seems to add fuel to the fire. He always seems to exacerbate whatever issues there are. Whenever you have a time of crisis, the nation wants a steady hand of leadership, a steady, stable hand of leadership, who tries to bring Americans together. Trump is fundamentally the opposite. He's a lightning rod. He's divisive. He's a bomb thrower. He takes a side, he goes out there, and he argues for it relentlessly. Well, guess what? That's going to lead to more people pouring out in the streets and more protests and more riots and more uh, violence. That's what's going to happen if, if they took a hands-off approach and just left it to the states uh, and left it to you know, the towns. You would have a situation where it dies off faster, for sure. And um, I think that as these things have carried on, you have had a situation where there's more of a focus on just anybody who does violence or the people who should get arrested and try to hands off of the peaceful protesters type situation. But when the feds get involved, and we've already seen this in Portland, they're just randomly snatching people off the streets, bro. And that, of course, is unconstitutional. It's wrong. It's counterproductive. It's immoral. And it will lead to more devastation. It will lead to more protests, more bodies in the streets, and it will extend the shelf life of what's going on now. And by the way, again, we're just getting started because this is over the George Floyd protest. There is going to come a time where if 40 or 50 percent of the country can't make their housing payment, wait until you see the protests and riots over that. Just wait. Just wait. Uh, But here we go. He's sending them to Cleveland, Detroit, Milwaukee. Who knows if they ask for them? Who knows if they want them? Who knows if this is going to be if this is legal in any way, shape, or form, it certainly looks like the president has a paramilitary force to me. Okay. And on that note, baby, I'm done, guys. I love you. Everybody continue to stay healthy out there. Anytime you go into a store, wear a damn mask. Wear a damn mask. So I love you guys. I'll talk to you soon. Everybody enjoy the rest of your day. Peace.